You're listening to The B Word Unpacked, brought to you by Goodstock Consulting. Welcome back, BPAC. If you thought our last episode was controversial, honey, then you better buckle up because the only thing riskier than talking about race is politics. Mm. And this week's B word is dun dun dun, dun ballot. Now, before I get everyone all riled up, let's have a moment of reflection on the better times. <laughs> Shall we have a quick lightning round? <laughs> Ladies, real quick, as a child, Did you ever run for office or win any special like awards or positions voted on by your peers? Would you learn how to shape you? I'll kick it off. Y'all know I ran for stuff as a kid. Um, I ran for. Of course you did. Of course. Of course you did. Of course. I ran for (laughs) positions both in middle school and in high schools. And I can say that those early positions taught me the power of the collective. Even in junior high or even in high school, I quickly realized that if there were multiple kids fighting for the same thing, that the teachers had to listen. They didn't necessarily have to do what we said, but at least they had to listen to what we were bringing You're going to hear me today. You know, you're going to hear 13-year-old Kelly. And so there was some power in being heard by authority. So it taught me that. And then the other thing I quickly learned was I might have been running for too much stuff, and I realized that my time was getting short. And so I quickly realized that you can't run for everything. You Mm -hmm. need to really pick and choose so that you can be an effective leader don't stretch yourself too thin yeah that's a lot so that's still true to kelly today 13 year old kelly is still the same (laughs) kelly right indeed all right well then same thing for kim y'all know i'm the warrior of the group but that's another b word episode (laughs) um but no 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 i never ran for anything in fact i'm always trying to be the gale of the situation like i want to have fun i want to do the turn up but i don't want to have to get on the stage with Mm y'all um so Gail has her own show now. Gail has her own show now, but I right. mean, she's still not Oprah. She ain't Oprah. As much as I love, I, Gail. I love Gail. I love Gail. I love Gail. I love Gail. Gail is my BFF in my head. I feel like we would have the best nights together at right. home or out in these streets. But right. yeah, Gail is my homegirl. Spotlight, spotlights make me nervous. Competitions make me anxious. So no, no, no. I'm not running for anything. However, I've been appointed to many things or voluntold in many positions and roles. And I just played the part. Right. I mean, I almost feel the same as that way. So this is Ebony and I like to be in the background of all backgrounds. I had two sisters that could take the spotlight. They were great at that, but my mom made me run for, um, the first one was for treasurer in the sixth grade. (laughs) I didn't want to go on stage. She basically wrote my entire speech about this triangle spelled T R Y. And I still remember to this day because it made me that nervous and that anxious and, and then where was fast the money forward coming to, from the um, sixth grade? Where you know, was the money I mean, coming from? What I mean, was it what being used buying? for? What y'all buying? <laughs> triangle. So it's like you're supposed to try. If you try your best, you can be anything you want to like. All kind of stuff. I don't know. Mary Hilton. Look her up. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Mama Mary. It's like you go be on that stage. You go be the treasurer. I was like, is that like the loser? You know, but whatever. <laughs> um, so that's what I was. And then fast forward to senior year in high school. We have, you know, homecoming queen. And my my older sister was the homecoming queen of her class. And I'm like, I'm in the court and I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, my older sister is beautiful. Like she's so popular. And I'm just in the nerd group trying to get through. I got my girlfriends, (laughs) but really I'm not, I'm not a standout of my friends. Like I'm just, I'm just trying to be low key. But because I was low key, I was kind of friends with a whole lot of all the people. Like I wasn't set to like one group. If that makes sense. So not clicky. 
Mm -hmm. Right. So lo and behold, here it goes homecoming night. I remember Titus Miller was my escort and he looks at me when they were making the announcements. He was like, are you ready to walk? And I was like, walk for what? Like, I literally looked at him like confused and they were like, and Ebony Hilton. So here I go. And then my little sister ended up being homecoming queen too. So now you have all three of us. And I cannot describe to you guys the amount of pressure that is when you have Two sisters that have already won. If you're the third person, the entire family feels the weight of that. So sure. being mm-hmm. in that position made me feel like I never want to have the spotlight on me in totality. But I can guarantee you, though, like in the growing up in this kind of phase, if there was going to be any type of like if I was going to be in an elected position today, like a political position, which I can totally conference. see, mm-hmm. I could totally I mean, see you I'm a little getting passionate. in trouble on CNN passionate because that press conference (laughs) you know i don't got a script i'm sitting out on cnn Mm -hmm, but it mm -hmm. but that's the type of thing that lets me say that before i can go into the political arena i have to deal with the how to present my emotions in a way that doesn't kind of cut off from the norm you know but anyway but so that's us let's enough of this reflecting let's unpack this whole thing called the ballot box welcome Welcome to to the the b-side All right. Now, before we dive too deeply into unpacking, I think it's important for us to really think about the times when voting was not a right in America, especially for people who look like the three of us. I mean, we are black and we are women. Women. So can we talk about that double jeopardy for just a minute? And I want to kick us off real quick. So my mother was really active in the civil rights movement when she was a student at Claflin College. I mean, the whole totality of it. She marched, she fought, she was placed in solitary confinement multiple times. And what's incredible to me is that my mama, who went to college at 16, a first generation college student who grew up with 11 other people in a three bedroom house, didn't allow that double jeopardy jeopardy to prevent her from fighting for what she believed in. I mean, if anything, being black, being female, being poor is what fueled her. And so I think that the the passion of young people today is kind of similar to the passion that I saw or I, I heard about from my mother when she described her time as a college student. Yeah, it's funny, Kelly. I mean, to think about it, it really wasn't that long ago that we received this right. So white men, then white women, then black men, then black women. And I feel like with all of these B word issues, why does it always seem like we're at the bottom of the pack? Yet we running all the shit. That's why I'm so confused. Mm -hmm. And we do it so well and effortlessly. So I really think in thinking about that, it's two ways you can think about it, right? You can think, oh, we're always on the bottom. Nobody's ever paying us any attention. Or you can flip it and say, we run this shit. And now how do we stay engaged and make sure that we're actually calling the shots because we're doing the work? And so that's why I stay so engaged in politics. My husband and I, we love watching politics. We often disagree, but it's sexy for us. That's to healthy. About- mm-hmm. That's healthy. That's healthy, right? Mm-hmm. We're supposed mm-hmm. to argue about it. <laughs> but, I mean, Trump kind of changed the game, but we still find some good things to argue and debate about and I think it's so important as young people that we do that and stay engaged because we are the double minority and it's important that we know our position so that we can play it well and change the game for those behind us. I mean, it literally is one of those things that y'all know I love a good political debate. And um, But every time I get into a debate debate. with someone, I literally have to tell them, you know, as a black 
and as a woman, like I literally am an amendment to the Constitution. You got to remember the Constitution was written in 1787. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until 1870 that with the fifth, um, 15th Amendment of the Constitution that black men could get to vote. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't until the 1920s with women's suffrage that white women got to vote. But they left us out of that blanket. (laughs) You know what I mean? Hello. Even though we were right there, shoulder to shoulder, fighting right along. Right there marching with them. But at the same time, it wasn't really until the 1960s when we started to abolish all these things like the poll tats and things that were used to kind of disenfranchise um, us as a group. And they we're still fighting it to this day. I mean, we're, we talk about gerrymandering. We talk about all these, these rules they're trying to put into place with license and whether or not you have an ID. So this is a kind of an ongoing fight. And I know it's this type of bias in politics that's left a lot of us to kind of distrust the entire system. So yep. how do we how do we fight against that? How do we change it? You're right, friend. It's so much work to do. And the history is so steep in so many ways. And it's unfortunate that we keep seeing the same thing over and over. History mm-hmm. repeats itself. Right. right but right. I personally think that my boo, my man, respectfully, because Michelle is my homegirl, Obama Really changed the game for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, just our morale in general, I think, increased and we felt a different sense of pride. I mean, like, seriously, do y'all remember what y'all were doing when he was announced the 44th president of the United States of America? I mean, what were y'all doing? What were y'all feeling? So that's my president. And Um, um, (laughs) we'll fight for him. We'll fight. We'll fight over that. Uh, I was in Western Samoa at the time. So Western Samoa is a teeny tiny island nation in the South Pacific. It has a population of about 200,000 people. And I was there working as the associate. Peace Corps director. And following Barack Obama's election, I was interviewed by a local newspaper to share my perspective on what it meant to have a black president in America. Mind you, I was one of two black people in the country at the time. And what talking to that reporter really brought out for me, what really resonated was the reality that his election meant so much more for people around the world. I mean, we often think about African-Americans, how it, how it impacted us. But y'all, these people in Samoa, where men walk around with little skirts and and sandals, it's sexy. Um, They were equally as excited about the election of Barack Obama because it was a person of color. It was a person that they saw themselves in. And so for me, the fact that his election resonated and sent shockwaves around the world cannot be disputed. I mean, people were jubilant. People were hopeful. People were charged up. I mean, okay, I didn't hear anything after the Samoan men in skirts. Girl, right. I mean, they're I called mean, lava lavas, lava, and it is sexy. You got a lava 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 lava. For me, I was jubilant, but I was jubilant to the point of like tears. Y'all know I'm emotional. You know mm-hmm. I'm emotional. But I literally remember exactly where I was sitting, exactly what I had on. I was at that time dating Trip, who was a white man. Let me put that out there. And we were sitting on the couch, and I stayed up all night long to kind of hear the results of what this election would be and at the end of it I was sitting there quiet and I just noticed that tears were coming out of my face and I didn't know why you know where they were coming from it wasn't that I was sad and Tripp Mm -hmm. looked at me and he said um you know why are you crying and I was like I'm just so happy because in that moment I was thinking about the fact that my nephew who at that time was a young kid would be growing up in a time where he would be able to see a black man at the highest position and know that he is worthy of any and everything he puts his mind to. Mm-hmm. And just that type of, of power and force on the ground level. Um, 
And just thinking about all our ancestors that literally had to fight day in and day out, where a few decades ago, we weren't even allowed to vote. Hello. And now we're yep. getting to a position of where we have a fine black man and a, and a oh strong God. black family. Hello. That's the face of America. Such a beautiful it did family. Such a beautiful family. Okay, we're it not even going to get into the comparing him to what we have now. But I mean, I come crack. on. Come on. Oh, I mean, no. I can still remember. So I got off work and I rushed over to my homegirl's house because we had to watch this together. And so me and Salandra Bowman, shout out Salandra. She's an African-American history major. And so we were sitting on the couch for once in our lives, speechless. Right. Mm. It was almost as if if we said something, maybe we would have to admit that it was a dream or maybe it was it would fade away. And did you cry? I cried. I, I cried some nice silent mm-hmm. tears. But yeah. the first few tears were pride. And right. then after a while, okay, because I'm the warrior, right? I thought, oh, God, what are they going to do to him? Right. Do y'all mm-hmm. remember when he walked across the stage with Michelle uh, and um, Sasha had on that cute red and black red dress, dress, I yep. think? And it was like the perfect family picture, right? Mm-hmm. And right. while I wanted to feel like so much pride and so much happiness, all I thought was, God, please protect them. Mm-hmm. Right. God, please protect them. But it was, uh, it was, it was one of the best nights of me. Well, you know, I think they're a little bit safer now that they're out of office. Just a little bit. Not no, even a little we, bit. It, we don't, we don't been amped up since 45. I don't, well, you know, I don't like to say his name. We've been amped up since mm. him. And, yeah. um, and people are reckless. So I still keep so them in my prayers. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Michelle. I mean, it's crazy to think it was only three and a half years ago, y'all, because it feels like so much has happened between now and then. So, so much. I mean, since we're reflecting, how did y'all feel on November 9th, 2016? Our turn. I'm trying. So I looked a hot mess. I'm not going to lie. When I was watching the news cycle and I was going back and forth on people on Facebook, literally saying, Y'all need to keep the faith. Like, there's no way this is going to go this way. Yeah, cute. And when I saw he won Florida and then Ohio, I literally turned the TV off and I just went to my room and just started crying. I was like, mm-hmm. I know it's it's done. Like, this Felt is like going to happen. And I remember waking up that next morning, scared to to go to Facebook to see what it, what the results were going to be, even though mm-hmm. I knew what it was going to mm-hmm. be. And I went into work and I literally felt like a like it was a death, like I was in mourning. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. And I remember I, I walked up and there was um, Dr. Canary Applause. Shout out to her. She's from um, from Brazil. But she, we were both getting on the elevator at the same time. And she kind of looked up at me. And when we locked eyes, you could see like tears welling up in her eyes. And I'm sure mine looked the same way. And we just dropped our head. And it was one of those moments where we didn't even have to say anything. We just automatically knew, like, this right here, this is this is not us. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it was us. I've been up since, like, 2 o'clock that morning. So I fell asleep. My husband and I fell asleep watching it. And I was like, okay, this can't go this way. Let me just go to sleep. Clearly, this is a dream. When I wake up, we'll be back in reality. Because we had Obama for two terms, people. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we are not going to vote for a reality star. Come on. Okay, cute, fun, fun joke, over. But when I woke up and I realized that this man was going to be our next president, I was dumbfounded. Mm -hmm. It was by 3 o'clock in the morning. I was so confused, I started calling people. And I thought they're going to just have to understand. They're going to just have to understand this morning. Because I need somebody to talk to me. God ain't talking loud enough and clear enough this morning. So I need to talk to some other people that I feel like sitting next to him. Tell me what is going on in this world. And I really lost... A part of me changed that morning 
because I honestly thought bigger Mm -hmm. and better of America. Right. And I felt like that was one of the instances, you know, when you get married, when you have kids, you have these monumental moments in life where it changes your DNA. It changes who you are to your core. This was one of them. Unfortunately, this was one of them where I lost a little respect, respect Mm -hmm. for my fellow Americans, because no, how could you really vote for him? I'm so confused. And I should have called out sick that day. But I thought, no, no, no. Y'all going to get all of this today. I I put on as the whatever I could find. I kind of threw some stuff on my face and was like, let me just go out and give them this realness. And I don't think my team has ever seen me like that before. But I was legit in mourning all day. All right. day. And if you came into my office, you must want to talk about Trump. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry if that's against policy, but that's all I got for you today. That's all you right. got. That's all I got. Yeah, right. y'all, it was a bugged out day for me, too. One I'll certainly bugged never out. forget. Bugged. <laughs> um, on multiple levels. So my mama was coming out of anesthesia following a quintuple bypass at Ropa St. Francis. So out me- anesthesia. Anesthesia. <laughs> <laughs> so me and my family were gathered in the waiting room and just waiting to be allowed to go back into that cardiac ICU. And so when she opened her eyes up, you know, they called us into the back. And so I remember me and my sister going back there and there was a TV on in the top left corner of her room and my mama you know her eyes were opening and she said she looked at the tv and she said is this is this real is this happening is this real and y'all she kept saying it over and over like a broken record player and I got to the point where I was like mama you got to stop saying that because you don't know who voted for him and honestly I was voted for him yeah and I was scared of what kind of care she would get if Mm -hmm. she was too vocal about her political position so I was like mama I'm gonna need you to pipe down on that type of write it down let's just just, let's just keep that on the inside but she kept saying is that for real and I mean honestly y'all that kind of the mystery trust the distrust the number of people who voted for him Hmm. it it floored me I mean my mind was blown Hmm. I was blown I have I'm gonna throw a monkey wrench I want to ask a question yeah right so how many people found out like their white friend voted for Trump and did that change our relationship oh friend I got something better than that oh I found out white and black friends that voted for Trump. And I, I I was, I can say, and I won't name names. I have family members who pulled the evangelical card, which I cannot see for the life for the least Christian man. Mm. I'm looking for Jesus. I'm looking for Jesus in any strand of hair. Y'all know how I feel about me and Jesus, Hmm. but I cannot find it nowhere in and through. And they told me that they voted for him. Because God told them to. And mm. I, these are black, black people that we, mm. we ride the same bus of life. And I'm just like, wait, what? Did you not hear that he was? Mm-hmm. Oh, don't we don't even like you. So now I'm curious to see. I am. I'm curious to see. Cause I've been trying to avoid talking about politics for protecting my energy. Cause I get <laughs> really riled up about it, but I'm curious to see if that shifts. And we can talk, we're going to talk about church at one point, but, um, and, and the influence of, of politics, but I'm curious to see in the black community, just how much of a shift that we have, um, after now he's shown us truly all of his cars. Hello. You can't, you can't claim. Undeniable. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Undeniable. Oh right. God. So when you said, I, I accept that white people voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I when don't... you say black people voted for Trump, yeah, that sends right. it to a whole nother level. Like that makes my heart hurt. 
Because that makes me well, think I'm you have to... some deep-seated, rooted issues that you need to unpack with somebody. Yes, and, you know, right. one of the members of my book club, who is primarily made up of women of color, uh, this sister voted for Trump. She's oh. a black woman. And I remember oh, when I learned that she had voted for Trump, actually when most of us learned that she had voted for Trump, it did cause somewhat of a shift. And so what it made me realize, not in the beginning, y'all, because I was just looking at her straight up like, how did you do this? Right. What's this? But after a while, I realized like it was actually good to have a certain sense, not even a certain sense, to have differing opinions within the group that I'm in because it forced me to engage her in conversation about, well, girl, why did you make this decision? And to have to open myself up to hearing what she said. Now, whether or not I agreed with it or not, that's two different things. But having people within a social circle of mine who went in that direction, it did force me to have to have conversations with not my typical choir, which I think can stretch you as a person. So I get that. I get that. Because I, in my opinion, there are three tiers to like building yourself, right? So the first is having conversations with people who look like you and think like you. Second tier is having conversations with people who may not look like you, but think like you, because that's easier, right? Mm -hmm. But the third tier is really being able to engage and have discourse with people who don't look like you and don't think like you. So that is important. But I just want you to think it. I don't want you to actually go vote for them. Can we just write it down first? Can we just talk about it at the book club? But then you still press Hillary? (laughs) It is one of those things. It does push you, though, to in in meeting and understanding and and finding out that these people who I thought were on the same page with me weren't in that moment, it made me not be able to hate that group, which yeah, was, right. I feel like I thank God for it. It's important. Because it's That's very true. easy to say, I hate people that don't think like me and I want to be you rigid in this. There, I can't hate, hate you. Them? You're my family. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I can, but I can't. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> it, it made me turn a, it made me like like um, Kelly is saying is it made me be more kind of open to accepting that not everybody's gonna think like nope. you, and and listen to them and instead of cutting off this person because you know I would go look my sister called me a little pistol starter I'll go toe to toe with someone sitting already but, uh, but that doesn't accomplish anything you nope. cut off dialogue when you're not able to say okay we think differently let's sit down and let's let's talk about where we have a common thread. And so we can maybe inch towards something that can be tolerable. Um, but yeah, but I, I I mean, but it was not just white people. Yeah, it, I, I think it, it definitely changes my relationships with people who I know voted for Trump, especially once we get into the conversation and I hear why you did, mm-hmm. because it usually doesn't make sense to me. Not that it doesn't make sense to me because I'm anti-Trump, but it just it's not logical. If it's logical, I can flow with you. Then I can say, okay, okay. But if you're saying things like, well, but he's not that bad, or he didn't mean it that way, or what, he's just, pussy piece, or? right, right. It's like, what didn't he mean? I don't, I don't understand where you're going with this. And so I get so confused when I talk to people, but I don't come at it like, um, I guess I'm more patient, but I'm certainly talking to you because I feel sorry for you. It's coming from a place of pity. Because I'm thinking something's wrong. And but I unfortunately, I'm not a therapist. As a, as a point of perspective. Mm-hmm. I really want to put myself in your shoes to try to understand it at this point. Um, because it has to be some some nerve that he struck, black or white person, right. that made sense to you. And I'm just honestly trying to get to a point in my life where I can hear something that doesn't fit right with me. 
but I can try to better understand it, even if I don't change my position on it. I just don't want to shut you off because when we shut people off, we make no progress, which is where I feel like we are today. Exactly. That's so mature, right. Ab. I'm going to write that, that down. That? I'm going to work you on know, that. It's, shout out to Juki. You're so grown. You're so grown, Juki was girl. the one that got me there. Boy, but, you know, but it is rough. And rightfully, it can be very easy for us in this day and um, kind of yes, stage of life and, and politics to become jaded, despondent. So how do we focus on progress, y'all? Like, what current issues are you hoping are addressed in this coming election? Whether that's kind of housing, education, health, and police reform. Like, what are what are some of the things that we want to see? Like, for instance, with the economy, according to the U.S. Census Bureau report, y'all, in 2018, 12% of all Americans lived in poverty. Now, that's 38 million people. That's one in every eight Americans are living below the poverty line. And that's $25,000 for two adults and two children. Wow. How they do it? I don't know. know. Health care is looking at premiums. The average cost for premiums in 2018 was six or was $1,200 a month. Mm -hmm. That's a huge amount. I mean, that's basically Mm -hmm. their entire income. That's a mortgage in South Carolina. Yes, it it's is. Great. If we're looking at gun reform, as of December 25th, this has been the deadliest year for America as far as mass shootings with 44 mass shootings, right? A total of 211 deaths. So you can have your pick of what issue you think is the most important because right now I feel like we're on the, the verge of a spiral in America. Like what's yeah. going on? We have become desensitized. I would say if I had to choose one issue, y'all know me, it's probably always going to be healthcare, mm-hmm. And I'm not even like a health nut. Like I'm not jogging and running and eating healthy and making sure I'm getting all my water but you're a in. public health warrior. But I'm a girl. public health warrior and I and I stand by it. But it's because I come from a community where healthcare access was a struggle. And right. I'm trying my best as I move through the healthcare system to be that advocate for people who don't know how to speak up for themselves. You know what I mean? I have real life stories about family members and how their health fails because the healthcare systems failed them. And I really believe that healthcare is the nucleus of all things. Like it shows up, it determines how you show up in the world and, and it should be a basic human right. So I don't understand why we have such significant disparities in one of the richest countries in the world. And also why this country spends more on health care than any other country in the world. And yet we still have these crazy health disparities. Right. So for me, I think it would have to be the wealth, da- the wealth gap, without a doubt. So I'm going to drop a few quick f- facts. Mm. For every $100 in white family wealth, black families hold just $5.04. Say that one more time, friend. Okay. Let me repeat. For every... Right. $100 in white family wealth, so black families hold just $5.04. Somebody. Fact two, more than one in four black households have zero or negative net worth compared to less than one in 10 white families who are wow. in that same position. Wow. And lastly, and this one to me just, it blew my top off. Right. The wealth gap between blacks and whites would take 225 years to disappear, according to a 2018 study. So from my perspective, wealth impacts virtually everything because wealth impacts your access. So we're talking about home ownership. We're talking about your ability to even access affordable health care. We're talking about education. You name it. The wealth imbalance in this country is shameful. And Mm. I, I just think our elected officials have to help tip the scales to create more balance, a more equitable distribution of financial resources. 
That's great. I mean, you said that the wealth gap was 225 years. How long has America been a country for? 1776. Somebody do the quick math. Right. It's going to uh, okay, really take almost the same amount of years that we've been a country for us to even make up for this wealth gap. And that's crazy, that's crazy. to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not I surprised. About- Y'all surprised? I'm not. I'm, I'm not. not but we I'm, had just, a, I'm shocked by it. I'm shocked I'm not, by the I mean, of it. we know that we've only really years. in the last one. It's only been. We like, just started voting years. yesterday. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. we just barely got. My mom was in the third grade when they integrated Hello. schools mm-hmm. right. um, in 1960. So, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be a little lag. Be a but minute. that's the thing. I can't pick just one issue. Um, really, I think in totality, if you want to cripple a community, you need to do. One or three things, and probably all three at once. You need to keep them hungry, you need to keep them sick, and you need to keep them uneducated. Mm-hmm. If you keep an individual hungry, un- sick, and uneducated, you can you can lead them to do anything because they're no longer trying to thrive. They're trying to survive. They're up, trying to survive. Desperate. Yep. They're just trying to survive. And that's what, unfortunately, like we said, one in every eight Americans who live below the poverty line we shouldn't be we shouldn't be comfortable as Americans knowing that we had that large of a population that is literally trying to survive from day yep. to day to day. Those are the building blocks of life: education, that's financial it. stability, health, and now all of that's kind of undergirded that's by just wealth access. So, I'm, so you know, when I'm looking at a, a political candidate, I don't want you to get up there and say, you know, Tom Sire. No, I'm not promoting or anybody, but to say my number one issue is the climate. <laughs> okay, and I and listen. I'm all about climate change. Go ahead, Greta. Do what you do. But I you can't can eat the climate, people. right? If you are a single single issue candidate, I don't really want to talk to you because I need you to see the big picture yeah, of how man. all these three things overlap to form the very fabric that is the the disparity of America. Like you can't fix one without the other ones. Maslow's the, hierarchy of needs. Yep. Right, Climate right. was not on that bottom um, level. Sorry. Right. Sorry, and so that's the thing. I well. mean, we're only we're only as strong as our weakest link. So we need to address how do we keep our Americans fed? How do we keep them healthy? And how do we keep them educated so we can make for a better America tomorrow than we have today? So y'all, it's time to be bothered. We've spent a lot of time, and this is probably one of our heaviest episodes, sharing our experiences on politics and not just how it has impacted our history, but how it impacts our current life. So what are some parting ways to help our listeners, the BPAC, stay not only engaged, but encouraged in the political scene? I'm going to leave our listeners with one of my favorite quotes, and that is, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. That's Margaret Mead. Sidebar, I know that some folks take issue with Dr. Mead's work. Mm -hmm. I'm just highlighting her quote here, people. I'm not endorsing her whole canon of um, work. (laughs) Just a quote. Kelly would give the disclaimer. But... But what I do want to say is that the statement rings true for countless civil rights movements and uprisings across the globe. And what's at the crux of that quote is that any of us can join in a movement to achieve change. Any of us has the ability to make our voice heard. Yeah, I I mean, to piggyback on Kelly, I would say 
um, a quote that she often uses talking about, it says a drop alone, alone, we're one drop together, we're an ocean. And I think that gets us back to the sense of community that we naturally have as black people Mm -hmm. and trusting one another, because that's the only way we're going to see collective power, collective changes, collective impact. And I, for my little important words, I literally like just to talk to black people and say that we have literally since the beginning and the founding of this country been the guiders of democracy. I mean, we are the drivers that have led to the change of the Constitution from the very start. It's because of us that citizenship had to be defined in the Constitution. It's because of us that voting rights had to be defined in the Constitution. It's because of us that even policies related to what's the structure and regulations behind public schooling and, and public housing, how do we need to shape that? It's because black people opened our voice and said that, hey, this is not right. So we are more than just standbyers of this whole democracy. We are the creators of this democracy. So don't be afraid to voice. If you see something that's wrong, speak up. Because it's your it's your ancestors' voice to help to shape and build this very nation. Start Keep the going. wave. Start Absolutely. the wave. Eb, you are right. so right. You know, I think of the greats who came before us, those who walked the bridge in Selma, our parents and our grandparents who integrated schools, who fought countless injustices. And I know it's up to us to take up that torch to keep the momentum running high. So that being said, thanks everybody for tuning in. Please tell us what you thought about today's episode and any thoughts you have on being politically active. Keep listening to the B Word Unpacked and let us know if there is a B Word that you want us to unpack in future episodes. So until then... Let's keep unpacking. Learn more about Goodstock Consulting at www.goodstockconsulting.com. Be sure to follow on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.